0: You're listening to IACA's Global Conversation, a video podcast dialogue with court leaders from around the world. Brought to you by the International Association for Court Administration. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Tyler Technologies. Tyler Technologies is a global provider of end-to-end information management solutions and services for courts of all sizes and complexities. Tyler's Odyssey case management software improves efficiencies, streamlines operations, reduces cost and eliminates paper. More information about Tyler Technologies can be found at www.tylertech.com.
1: Hi everybody, I'm Cheryl Loesch, the current president of the International Association for Court Administration, commonly known as ICA. I am so excited to be here today to introduce you to ICA's inaugural podcast that explores courts' responses to the coronavirus and how the courts manage to fulfill meeting the needs of justice in different countries. I want to personally thank the co-hosts of today's podcast, Peter Kiefer and Janet Cornell, for leading this important discussion, and I'd also like to thank our panelists today for agreeing to share their wisdom and experiences with us. I know you will enjoy this podcast and that you will find it worthwhile and timely. ICA looks forward to producing more podcasts in the future on topics of importance to the field of court administration. Thank you so much and enjoy the podcast.
0: The coronavirus pandemic has been a scourge across the globe. It has been one of the longest lasting and most widespread crises in recent times. It has affected every component of government in every nation that's had to deal with COVID-19. How have courts in different countries coped with the pandemic? I'm Pete Kiefer, and welcome to IACA's Global Conversation, a podcast that asks court leaders from around the world about issues that are important to the administration of justice. In this episode, we'll explore how courts have responded to the coronavirus. I'm joined today by my co-host, Janet Cornell, educator and court leadership expert. Our panel today includes the Honorable Sidney H. Stein, Senior Judge for the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York, the Honorable Belin Salispera Karasik, Regional Trial Court Judge with Branch 296 of the Supreme Court of the Philippines, the Honorable Ali Al-Madhani, Judge of the Dubai International Finance Center Court, and Nura Arneo with Finland's National Courts Administration. Welcome to all of you. Judge Karasig, welcome. Communication
1: always seems to be the key in any crisis. What problems did you encounter communicating with staff during the coronavirus, the pandemic? What methods and channels of communication did you use to keep staff updated about managing the pandemic?
2: So with regard to communicating with our staff, our court personnel, that has not been a huge issue or concern for us here in the Philippines because even prior to the pandemic, we made sure that we maintain a close communication with our court personnel, exploring all possible platforms, social media. We have Facebook Messenger, we have Viber. We have always maintained and updated our telephone directories. Our major concern, especially during the pandemic, was how the other court stakeholders can communicate with us, like our prosecutors, lawyers, public defenders, and the litigants. And so in order to solve that or to address that issue, again, even prior to the pandemic, because we are trying to move towards a modern court system here in the Philippines, especially in my station, here in Manila. We explored the possibility of getting in touch with them through their cell phone numbers or their email addresses for as long as they have provided us with this.
1: Communication always seems to be the key in any crisis. Judge Stein, what problems did you encounter communicating with staff during the pandemic? What methods and channels of communication did you use to keep staff updated about managing the pandemic?
3: Communication is so important and transparency has become so important in this pandemic. The court has tried to be completely transparent both about our successes and our problems with the staff and to have as constant communication as we can. And that operates on several levels. Uh, we have a large court here. There are 28 active judges and altogether, there are about 40 judges if you, or even more if you include the senior judges. So the chief judge has been communicating essentially daily, uh with an end of the week roundup by way of email with each of the judges letting us know what's happening and are weighing in of course in addition we also have once a month judges meetings where we do this remotely everybody is now working largely remotely although we've been opening the courthouse up recently it's always been open for emergencies but we're having it more open as time goes on There's also a line of communication with the clerical staff because the clerk of court and the court executive who head up the non-judicial staff communicate regularly with their staff through town hall meetings, through Zoom meetings. The clerk of court meets with the circuit unit executives constantly. It's, I can't emphasize how important it is to have frequent and transparent communications with your staff. Because in this age of pandemic, rumors start all the time if people are concerned about their health, about their jobs, about their safety. So my advice is to push out as much factual information as you can, as frequently as you can. Judge Almohadi, what were the
0: biggest issues in your court about communicating with the public, and what methods did your court use in advising the public about actions the court was taking during the pandemic?
4: The biggest challenge for us is that to keep the court hearing schedules going on. That was, I mean, for us, the biggest. I'm sure public would have another challenges and other courts would have another challenges. For us, as a civil and commercial court, we didn't do criminal things. And the most important is to keep the schedules. We didn't need to get into a backlog. We didn't need to get into in the future, like a lot of hearings that we could not handle Then, So that was the biggest issue, actually, for us. I mean, for the judges, we, we have overseas judges that are not in the country. We have local judges. We have also practitioners from all around the world. We do have litigants, litigant in person, and litigant person where some of, I would, I would say, create more complexities in, in terms of communicating as well. All of that hearing to keep the connection with them was itself a great challenge. What well, have done? Luckily, we've been, I said, we've been investing in technology for, for a while. I mean, for the last decade, we have invested heavily. We were about, even in 2017, to force all of our users to use e-court, e-registry, e-connection, e-payment, everything. And then the court were decided to give more options instead of compulsory compulsory using e-court system. So, as I said, we were up to that speed before. I mean, but we managed to deal with these challenges. What we've done actually to overcome these challenges we had a, a banner for the walk-in visitors. We have a lot of uh, in person. We have a walking in, a litigant. So we bought we a banner in front of the court, promises that to tell them how they should communicate. They're going to be only e-communicating. We, actually, we stopped people coming, first of all. We said, well, we didn't need anyone to come. We can do uh, this is remotely. We can do virtually. We can do it virtually by even by any means by phone calls, by video calls, video calls, by any application you have, we will be very ready to accommodate that. We have sent emails to all of the practitioners registered with us. We have sent email to the, everyone in our database that we're still pro, uh, performing, we're still fully operational, we're keeping time, we're keeping hearing, the judges will be available, the hearing dates are kept, people need to know just how to get in uh, I mean get in with us. And in what's mean? So we, I said we use the emails and then we use the social media, even awareness to let public that we're still uh, officially operating. We're not closing down with respect to the COVID-19 risk. So we did manage to use all of the social media like Instagram, Twitter, um, and, and other means.
0: Nora Arneo, what challenges do you face in communicating with the public in Finland? And how are you dealing with them?
5: here i would have two separate issues first is the method of communication and second is the content of the communication just to give you a rough idea of the context here in finland we are a bilingual country so every message that we send we must send in both languages so that everybody understands what we are wanting to convey
0: What are the two languages?
5: Finnish and Swedish. Uh, Also here in Finland, the situation never really got so severe that we had to close the courts. So mostly the people were able to still access the courts and access the um, customer service of the courthouse. However, they were advised whenever possible to use phone or email to communicate with the court. The national court administration reminded the courts that perhaps during these exceptional times they need a little bit more people to answer the phone calls and read the emails as people are trying to reach the courthouses that way. Then as to the method, uh, Finland is very much online and people are very used to use online services. We reminded the courts to update their web page on what the situation is and how people can access them. Also, there is a very well-known web page called oikeus.fi or justice.fi, which had a compilation of all these different notices from different courts, so people could get the message this way also. Of course, in cases where people were already called to the courts and their trials had to be canceled, they were contacted personally. Also, the National Court Administration is a very new institution, and our Director General, Mr. Riku was interviewed in the, in the news about the situation and how we dealt with it. Also, the National Court Administration gave press releases and made lots of Twitter tweets. And this gave the me- media material and they started discussing about how the courts are dealing with the situation. Then as to the content of the messages... In Finland, the situation was not stable and was not the same throughout the country. So there were multiple messages to the public. Here, the National Court Administration assisted the courts by drafting a template message, which they could use as the basis of their interaction with the public. The message always started with a statement saying that the courts are an essential service and they will be ensuring that the justice is delivered so that the public can still trust the courts to do
0: their business. Noura, I know that the National Courts Administration has established regular Skype calls with courts. How has that improved communication?
5: Indeed, very early on, just a few weeks after the pandemic really hit Finland, we established weekly remote calls with the management of the courts. This was an excellent opportunity For the courts themselves to discuss among themselves about the problems and the solutions they have found. But also the experts here at the national court administration were able to join these calls and give advice on for example human resources issues. In these meetings also uh, the head of communications of the national court administration participated and she gave ideas and suggestions on communication with the public. And she issued a very concise and practical guidance to the courts on crisis communication. Also, we issued a template to the courts on internal communication so that everyone in the court was aware and then that eased also the external communication. But that was not all. These meetings were also a perfect opportunity for a newly established agency to contact all the the um, management of the court and ask them directly, what is it that they need? What kind of advice and what kind of instructions? So we were really hands on with the courts. So
1: Judge Stein, what proceedings did your court identify as priorities to be held? What proceedings were deferred? Is the court using virtual hearings and how are they going?
3: Thank you for the question. There really, I would characterize what's happening as being on two separate tracks criminal and civil. <clears throat> civil cases have been proceeding apace. There's no backlog, as it were, of civil cases. Uh, as I said, all judges have laptops and largely have been working uh, from outside the courthouse. But uh, civil cases can take place uh, virtually through any of the uh, platforms that we use. People use a lot of platforms. Zoom, which is, this going, is going out on. There's Microsoft Teams, there's Skype, there's Cisco Jabber, there's ATT conferencing system, there are a number of platforms. And judges have been holding civil virtual hearings with court reporters when they want it. We always can get one of our court, court reporters who also are working remotely to record any of these civil conferences. Criminal cases are different. There is a statutory preference for criminal cases. So we have to give preference to criminal cases, which only makes sense because people are at risk of losing their liberty. And indeed, if somebody has not made bail, they're incarcerated pending a determination and a judgment. So you want to have criminal cases move very swiftly. In addition to that, the Constitution provides that certain major criminal proceedings, such as bail hearings, pleas of guilty, and sentencing. And for those who are outside the United States, a very high percentage, I'm sure it's somewhere in the 90% of criminal cases in the federal court and in pleas of guilty prior to uh, trial. So, in all of those cases, that is, when pleas are being entered, when sentences are being imposed, and a bail hearings, there's a constitutional right to be physically present in a courtroom before the judge who's going to sentence you or take a plea or determine whether you have liberty or not pending a trial. That was obviously in the late 1790s when that came in. And it has me, it means, and the courts have construed it to be physically present in a court. Defendant has that right. Now in light of the pandemic, we can't do that. We haven't been able to do that. And Congress passed what's called the CARES Act that includes most people know of it for the stimulus for the money that was appropriated by Congress but there are provisions in it that allow us to have bail hearings and pleas and sentencings remotely but there have to be knowing and voluntary and willing waivers of the various rights that i've just described by the defendant so he has to know uh, what those rights are He has to have had an opportunity to speak to his counsel because you also have a constitutional right to counsel in advance. He has to have had the counsel describe those rights that he is being asked to waive. And if that defendant waives those various rights, he or she will fill out a form and submit it to the court and it has to be signed by the defendant, his lawyer, I'm saying his because it overwhelming number of uh, defendants we see in criminal cases are male, and then the judge has to sign it as well. So before I can start any virtual hearing, again remotely by these various uh, platforms, I have to adduce the waivers and I have to make sure that the waivers of each of the rights, and I have to set forth what those rights are, that the defendant understands that he's waiving those rights, and that he has an opportunity to discuss the uh, waivers in advance. And I also also have to make sure that during the hearing, he has the absolute right to speak privately with his lawyer. And therefore we have a system, some of these systems allow the operator to set up a virtual room where the defendant and his lawyer can talk privately during the conference. And I do that frequently. But that takes time and these things therefore go more slowly. And indeed, after I adduce that the fact that the, that the defendant has waived each of these rights, I then have to make a finding pursuant to the CARES Act that the, the ends of justice require that the matter proceed. In other words, justice won't allow uh, us to defer all of these things until the pandemic is lifted. And I also, by the way, have to adduce that the defendant understands that these restrictions are, are due to the pandemic. That takes time, but we're doing it. We're definitely doing it.
1: So what proceedings, Judge Karasig, did your court identify as priorities to be held? What proceedings were deferred? And is the court using virtual hearings? If
2: so, how is it going? All right, so first, With regard to the deferment of the proceedings during the onset of the pandemic, that was inevitable across the country, especially when the government imposed the enhanced community quarantine or the total lockdown, which prevented court personnel and judges from going to their court stations. Now, all kinds of proceedings, criminal, special proceedings, Civil proceedings were deferred, although for a very short time, because immediately in March of 2020, the Supreme Court started issuing circulars in order to ensure that our courts are somehow open, managed by from 30% to 50% of the staff complement, so as not to compromise as well the health and the safety of our judges and court personnel now two of the most pertinent circulars that have been issued so far in order to ensure this and address the issue and avoid further deferment of proceedings was the issuance of a circular for the release of those persons deprived of liberty that answers also the issue of congestion of our jail facilities. It is known far and wide how jail facilities in the Philippines are congested. So imagine during the pandemic, the spike of the cases of persons that uh, deprived of liberty with high risk of getting infected with COVID-19. And so in order to do that, the court again issued another circular that's circular number ninety two twenty two for the distribution of the Philippine Judiciary 365 account, which enabled us to conduct virtual court proceedings. So, yes, we are adopting virtual court proceedings via the Microsoft 365 app, and it has been very, very successful. One, in the number of the persons released, the persons deprived with liberty. Two, to minimize the exposure of our judges and court personnel, also to minimize the exposure of our litigants to the COVID virus. Judge
1: Karasik, what then have been the consequences of delaying certain court proceedings?
2: And how does your court plan to manage backlogs? Well, one, definitely there has been delay in the disposition of some cases. Two, that has resulted in the clogging of our court dockets. And third, there has been a spike among litigants who are detained who have been infected with COVID-19. So in order to address those, we have consistently use taken advantage of the Microsoft 365 app as much as possible double the cases that we hear every day as much as possible release as many qualified persons deprived of liberty and encourage the parties the councils to make time no postponements and no resettings and observe our amended rules and continuous trial.
1: So Judge Stein, what are the consequences of deferring certain court proceedings? And how does your court plan to manage backlogs?
3: Well, there truly aren't backlogs in, in any particular area. As I say, the civil cases have been proceeding quite normally. There were rough spots at the beginning, but we're now what is it, eight months or so? Uh, Since March, eight, nine months, and the kinks have been worked out. Uh, So the civil matters are proceeding with the major exception of jury trials. And there probably is a larger caseload, greater need for jury trials now, and those are probably backed up. We had to make sure this building was safe for everybody. A major part of that was reconfiguring the courtrooms for jury trials. And we have six large courtrooms of our 20 some odd courtrooms. I have one of the six large courtrooms. And my courtroom has been significantly reconfigured for jury trials. In other words, the seats in the jury box have been moved so that they're socially distant. Half of the benches in the public area of my courtroom have been taken out. The seating for the lawyers on each side has been socially distanced. Microphones have been put in, they're like walkie talkies actually, so that a lawyer can talk privately with his or her client simply by picking up a telephone so they don't have to whisper to each other, they can be there socially distanced. There's a spray that we spray on papers if they have to be handed from one person to another and there's a strong preference for electronic exhibits. We have HEPA filters which are high quality or they, they push air, they clean the air at a heightened rate. HEPA filters in each of the areas where there's a plexiglass box plexiglass barrier between myself and the witness, because the witness box is right next to me. All of this has taken a lot of time, and we've only started jury trials in about the last two weeks. And indeed, we're calling in jurors. We're quite pleased that the return rate of jurors, that is from summonses, is relatively high. People seem to be willing, maybe even eager, to do jury service. There's a theory that they're anxious to get out of the house, and that indeed may be true, but we're very pleased with the number of jurors who are responding positively to jury summonses. But again, we cut down the number of areas where we can pick jurors because we may have 100 jurors come in or more for a trial, and socially distanced, we have to be very careful about that. So... All the protocols are being followed. The court has hired not only an epidemiologist, but an airflow specialist. Before anyone can enter, they have to go on the web to our website and fill out a very brief questionnaire about uh, have they been sick in the last X number of days, in the past 14 days, have they traveled from abroad, have they traveled from any other state, Do they have a headache? Do they have fever? It's the epidemiological questions. And that you fill that out before coming into the courthouse. If you you can't do it on the web, you can do it physically when you come to the courthouse. You get a key QR code on your mobile device if you're doing it on the web. And then when you come in at each entrance, there are readers, electronic readers. You put your mobile device up to the electronic reader which will either uh, say you're okay or not, and it also will take your temperature if once you show the reader the QR code, then it beeps and you can enter the courthouse. As long as you have a mask, everybody has to have a mask. Judge al
0: what are the judge and staff concerns about being exposed to COVID-19, and what precautions is your court taking?
4: Well, I think it was a, a big risk for everyone. It was very obvious, like everyone feeling that risk of COVID. Everyone were really like, we're panic. People were panic about this. I mean, we dealt with it, I remember, at the very highest level as a very serious a disease. And to some extent, I mean, especially after the news that come from countries that contacted before us, it's a, it's a fatal disease, actually. So the concern was very high actually really high and uh, either for judges for employees and even for uh, litigants and even practitioners they said well the first things we did is that we asked people not to come to the premises. there is no connection if you want to come to court, you you must come through virtual meaning or phone or or any other mean don't come in here so a lot of measures been taking been, been taking even before the lockdown this court, I mean, moved to a 50% vacating of the employees' capacity, uh, then 30% attending court promises only. This is before the full lockdown where people asked them to come to court. I mean, and then even the comeback took something like that. We started coming back with 30%, then 50%. And within the premises, we maintain a minimum two-meter distance, uh, people wearing masks, employees, judges, and everyone. Uh, mask and some of them are really, even gloves, stop the banteries, we stop a lot of things that where people used to exchange among them, where, I said, with the people with even major diseases, we ask them not to come, pregnant females not to come to premises, even employees who have a children or elderly people at home that might really badly suffer from contacting the coronavirus, ask not to come to to work not to come to office.
0: Noura, what are the judge and staff concerns about being exposed to the coronavirus and what precautions are being taken?
5: Obviously, the physical safety of the staff was a big concern, but so was the the safety of the uh, court users. Remote working was the number one solution, and most of the court staff started to work remotely. Luckily, we had the means to do that. As we saw that uh, the judges started to cancel the trial sessions, we, the National Court Administration, published a a guide for the courts on using remote connections at a trial. And this was an attempt to uh, make it easier for them to use these tools that they might not have used before. Also, as we noticed that this pandemic is not going to go away anytime soon and that the courts can't. Stay closed or not organize trials. We issued a recovery plan, which was a document drafted in consultation with the occupational, occupational healthcare professionals. And this meant that the information in the document was both very reliable and very relevant. In the document, we noted that the responsibility is of the court themselves to organize themselves but we gave them advice. We never order or tell them what to do. They are independent even during the pandemic. This guidance had touched upon two issues. The employer's responsibility of the safety of the employees. Uh, So it discussed issues such as risk management, work safety and internal preparedness. On the other hand, it also very concretely and step-by-step describes the interactions in the courthouse. So, for example, people arriving, security check, waiting areas, and so on. And then gave advice on how to, in the most safe way, deal with this situation. And we also reminded the courts of the importance of communication. So please communicate with the public.
0: Judge Stein, based on your court's experience during the pandemic, what advice do you have for other courts around the globe?
3: I think my advice would be think about the next pandemic. That's very important. We have developed for the next pandemic a massive manual with all the lessons we've been learning now. In fact, we had a lengthy pandemic manual in place, but you know the saying, uh, all plans for war go out the window once the first bullet is fired, so too. Our pandemic plan is going to look, going forward, is going to look very different than the one that we had very nicely on paper. So yeah, when this is over, and even now, be thinking about the next pandemic and how you're going to handle it. My second message is to be completely transparent, as I said earlier. Make sure everyone, the staff and the public, know what's happening. Make sure the public is confident in your ability, that is the court's ability, to keep them safe. Go virtual and remote to the extent your laws allow you to. But again, make sure everyone feels confident that the court is using science to keep everyone safe. You need public confidence. And I tell the the courts abroad that that's it. Transparent, confident, Quick communication, constant communication, with the stakeholders who are your staff, the legal staff, the judges, and the public, and follow the science. That's my advice.
0: Judge Karazic, what is your advice to other courts?
2: Well, my answer to that would be to have a judicial continuity plan that would address not only natural disasters but even man-made disasters or calamities. So this would include, one, making sure that we have an effective case management system in our respective courts. Second, we have to to move towards digitization of our court cases, our court records, encourage e-filing. At the same time, ensure the cybersecurity aspect of these uh, files or records. Second, we have to always be mindful of the delicate balance between ensuring the courts are open and considering also the risk, the health risk that our judicial frontliners have to face. So we have to be aware of how to sort myths versus truths about pandemics such as the COVID-19, because there have been many misinformation that has been going around. We also have to be open, and we also have to be aware of recent technological advances, which, if utilized properly, could benefit the judicial systems across the globe. Judge
0: Almanhadi, what's your advice?
4: We see in this world, we're really going to face with a lot of, let's say, dramatic catastrophes at some point. Some with hurricanes, some with diseases, some with uh, different issues. But the good advice is that you need to be ready for all of this. And I think from experience. Uh, the best things to do is that you need to be really uh, ready with technology. When things, when problems happen, I think the most difficult things is that I mean people can get together physically in one place. Uh, I think this is the most uh, challenging uh, situation during the the pandemics. Uh, investment in technology and allowing people during bad time to attend uh, virtually is the easy thing for me I think and but you need to rely in a very in a very secure a connection because we saw some of the hearing involve a lot of confidential things it's not just open any link and we need to tell people oh this is a sometimes uh, you need to come up from a reliable source of of connection and that's very important thing so I said you need to be very ready you, your infrastructure need to I would say allow for uh, most of the hearing that can happen virtually, allowing people to have access from all the world. I mean, you need to preserve your data as well. You need to have your judges uh, available all the time to receive this kind of uh, calls, hearings, freezing order, injunctions, and things like that. And the, I said electronic means must be ready and it's need really investment. And who who suffer from the lockdown, I mean should have learned the lesson by now and then they need to boost their investment in technology. what I'm saying this I mean but technology would be a very great concern and I said a future investment we need not to forget uh, a very important principles of justice that over in the race of technology I mean a lot of courts judges and sometimes administrators forget a very important uh, element in the, that in the human, of dealing between courts, judges, administrators, and uh, either practitioners or uh, the end users. I think there are a greater interest need to be protected as well. Uh, Principles of justice like an uh, open justice need not to be forgotten. Uh, Principles uh, like full right of defense and representation and not to be forgotten. Uh, We need not to jeopardize as I said, access to justice by any means. And there are a lot of people need wants to appear before a judge and need to be heard and need to be heard directly and need to be acted open uh, for their motions and application. And I think, yes, technology must not jeopardize all of these uh, principles, in my opinion. Nora, what's your advice to other courts around the world?
5: Well, we would firstly like to remind of the very core principle, and that is the independence of the court. It must be upheld at all times, be it pandemic or not. So we gave advice and assistance, but never orders. Secondly, it's really important to have a crisis plan ready because when the crisis hits, it is too late to start planning and looking for the procedures. They have to be there already from, the, from before the crisis. Also, you are bound to make mistakes, but it's good to acknowledge and record them. And this way you can learn from them for when you next have a difficult situation. And lastly, I would say, don't panic. We will survive this.
0: I want to thank Judge Stein, Judge Karasik, Judge Almanhadi, Manhadi, and Nora Arneo for sharing their experiences and their advice on how they are managing the coronavirus crisis. Thanks also to my excellent co-host, Janet Cornell. This has been IACA's Global Conversation, brought to you by the International Association for Court Administration and sponsored by Tyler Technologies. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. IACA's Global Conversation is a podcast on topics of interest to courts and court administration from around the world. Today's episode will be available on the IACA website, on YouTube, on Spotify, and on iTunes. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of our guests and the International Association for Court Administration, thanks for listening. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the hosts and the individual presenters. They do not necessarily represent the position of the International Association for Court Administration.